Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1373, air date December 10th, 2023. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Shiva Adure. We're going to be starting our uh, uh, Twitter space shortly um, with myself and Kim.com. And the discussion is going to be on uh, my analysis of the New Zealand whistleblower data. And it's going to be a very direct analysis, but we're also going to uh, discuss uh, the real solution we should be focused on health um, beyond this what I call the quote-unquote vax, anti-vax discussion. It's been something I've been speaking about for years on. So that's what we're going to have a discussion about. And I'm going to bring up some of my uh, PowerPoint slides right now so they're all set um, that you guys can see. Let me bring that up here. It should be right here. There we go. All right, so you should all be able to see that. And we'll be starting shortly. So just hold on, everyone. We're going to be starting our Twitter space with myself and Kim.com. Hi, Kim. Good, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good afternoon. How are you? Very good. Very good. Um, should we let the room fill up a little bit more? A couple of minutes. Sure. We'll do that. We yep. Oh. Yep. Sounds good. Let's music play a bit longer. All right. All right, everyone, we're going to wait a little bit until the room fills up, and then we'll start shortly. So let's see. There we go. Yeah, for everyone who wants to follow the slides, I put uh, Dr. Shiva's tweet in the nest on top. There are a couple of links to Rumble, Twitch, and YouTube. Pick whatever you like, and then uh, you can basically follow uh, Dr. Shiva's slides and presentation from there. And I think, Dr. Shiva, you will have the audio of um, of the space play on those streams as well, right? Yeah, so whatever we're discussing here between you and I, uh, Kim, that's also going out on the stream right now. So people will be able to get the audio here through this, or if they're listening on, I think, Rumble, YouTube. We're putting uh, pretty much broadcasting it on all platforms. Okay, that's yeah. um, I mean, we can we can basically uh, start. I make a little introduction. 
um, and uh, tell people what this is all about. And then uh, you can start with your presentation. Sounds good. Okay, so uh, I know Dr. Siva for a couple of months now. Uh, was very impressed with a biotech uh, venture that he has started, uh, and you know, just know for him to be a very smart guy. Um, you know, he studied at MIT, has multiple degrees, including a, a, a PhD in bioengineering. And uh, so he received the the data that recently leaked in New Zealand, the COVID vaccine uh, 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 database that was leaked by uh, Barry Young. And uh, he looked at this data and we spoke about it. And I thought, you know, at first, this is uh, a pretty big deal. But then uh, Dr. Siva gave me his views, which he's going to present to you today. And just so for, for, for your understanding, I'm coming at this from a neutral standpoint. I uh, have, you know, my, my opinion is that uh, the COVID vaccine um, is not something that I would consider safe personally, um, but I taken the vaccine because I'm in a high risk group. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm obese and uh, I have, uh, you know, high blood pressure and some other conditions. So my wife asked me to please get vaccinated and, and I did it. I do regret it a little bit uh, with everything that I know now. Uh, what I do know is that COVID was created in a lab. It was based on gain of function research that the US government funded. Um, I know that there was an attempt to cover up that it is created in a lab that Anthony Fauci and scientists that depended on him for funding um, in emails uh, discussed with, with each other how they can uh, prevent the lab leak theory from becoming the predominant theory. And then also Anthony Fauci, of course, lied uh, in Congress under oath about gain of function research to Senator Paul. So we also know that many announcements that were made by governments and politicians and leaders in numerous countries that these vaccines are going to stop transmission of COVID, that they are effective against COVID were false, you know? So there are a lot of big questions that need to be asked when it comes to uh, the entire COVID uh, story, uh, the vaccines and lockdowns and everything that came with it. But what we're going to talk about today is about this data that leaked in New Zealand. And it had quite a bit of impact because the New Zealand government raided the leaker within two days of the data coming out. It has taken uh, drastic measures to block the content from all kinds of websites that get, to get accounts terminated. So they're quite nervous about this data. And I want to hear from Dr. Siva today, who has done an in-depth analysis of the data, what his thoughts are about what the data tells us. So uh, that's enough uh, of an introduction right now. And Dr. Siva, we can start uh, and uh, you, you can go ahead with your presentation. 
Yeah, I think, Kim, I know given the introduction you gave sort of as a neutral position, I think I also want to let everyone know, if I can just take two minutes, Kim, if I, before I jump into everything. Um, I think one of the things people need to understand is for me, this area of health before I go into the results has been something that's been a lifelong journey. It's not been something I got into yesterday. It's not a grift. You know, for me, it's been a lifelong journey that goes back all the way to India, you know, where I was deeply, deeply um, interested in medicine because, you know, um, the, the U.S. system of medicine about giving an intervention is not the only mode of medicine that's been practiced all over the world. My grandmother was a traditional healer. There's these ancient systems of indigenous medicine. And that really motivated me because I saw, at least observationally, uh, Kim, how my grandmother was able to heal people in a small village practicing this 10,000-year-old system of medicine. So when I came, came to MIT, as you said, I was very interested in medicine, but went in and out, uh, was di frankly disenchanted because the Western approach really looked at the body as parts, not really as a system. So I went in and out of MIT, uh, did four degrees in engineering. Uh, my PhD is in a field called systems biology, which was a great field because it was the first time Western medicine said, hey, let's take a systems approach to understanding uh, the body instead of a parts-based approach. When we look at data, we have to start recognizing, are we going to take a systems approach or are we going to take a reductionist approach? Unfortunately, a lot of people come into data analytics, have an agenda, and they take a reductionist approach. But as you said, Kim, uh, my latest venture is uh, a, a framework that can really help indigenous medicines or see combinations of medicine from a systems approach. But that journey really led me back in 2003, back to India. This was on the front page of MIT where MIT was very interested. Why did I, after all these degrees, want to go study indigenous medicines? But I was very interested in these, uh, bridging these worlds, Kim, the traditional world of engineering, science, medicine, and traditional systems of medicine. So again, to point out to everyone, my objectivity, uh, I know when you put this out, Kim, some people may have thought, oh my God, this guy is gonna attack the data. He doesn't believe, you know, he's a big pharma guy, he's pro-vaccine, absolutely not true. Um, I'll come back to this, Kim, but my history, if anything, uh, has been to really take a systems approach. In fact, I was a guy who led some of the biggest uh, protests fighting against vaccine mandates. Uh, I did, my position is this is not about pro or anti-vax, this is really about uh, immune health. We ran some of the biggest conferences on vaccine risk assessment. Uh, the NSF invited me to really talk about modern uh, theory of the immune system. And I'll talk more about this, but to all of those listening, understand I probably have the most subjective view because I've been on the fighting against vaccine mandates. Um, I was against the lockdowns. I, uh, Trump and I've met, I've uh, written, wrote a letter to him why the lockdowns were inappropriate. But anyway, talked at major hearings. So let's jump into the data and I'll come back to this. Uh, I'll come back to this, some of the stuff on the immune system, et cetera, so people understand my approach on the immune system. But let me, um, I just wanna give those prefatory remarks, Kim, very quickly to let people know this is a deep interest of mine, but the real interest for me is the immune system. And the pro-vax, anti-vax noise will come back to us really taken away from the deeper issue that governments need to focus on which is about immune resilience. How do we build the immunity of people? So we'll come back to that. Let me jump right into the results. So here's the result. First of all, this is not the mother of all revelations. I think that's very dramatic. It's not true. Um, again, by making these kinds of claims, we actually do not allow people to have a much more 
uh, unified discussion of what needs to be done for public health. So this is not a true statement. That's, I mean, I could end the discussion right here, but I don't think that would be appropriate. So let me um, go into this detail on this. So first of all, you know, there are, here's a main conclusion. Uh, one cannot and must not conclude anything from this data, except what I would say, these three findings. And these are the three findings. Again, we'll come back to this. Uh, Kim, I know you and I are gonna have a conversation on this. First of all, the data has gaps. And this was mentioned to me um, by Barry at the outset. You know, he said it has gaps, it's incomplete, and frankly, it's unusable for concluding either risk or no risk of vaccine in New Zealand, okay? So that's the first key finding. The second key finding is, um, you know, if you're gonna do some type of cohort analysis, let's say a time series on doses, um, and given the data set is flawed and incomplete, it turns out this actually supports the government position that lockdowns were effective for saving the elderly above 60 plus, and I'll go into that, okay? So again, I'm saying that a cohort analysis should not be done, but even if it is done, and if you actually look at it closely, it actually supports the government position of lockdowns. By the way, lockdowns, which I'm against, I've done many protests against them, wrote, wrote to Trump not to do these lockdowns, um, but, and we'll come back to that. I just wanna give you the high level findings and we're gonna drill down deeper. The third key finding is a government must release the full data set. This is very, very important. Um, and since probably 20 years, since 2003, long before it became in vogue, I've always said that we must have transparent data, particularly anonymized data for all people. Uh, this is, you can go look at the works I've done since 2003 on this. This is not something new. Or what is going on right now, the public will continue to be distracted by this quote unquote vax versus anti-vax. By the, by the way, both sides have a horse in the race and they're profiting from it. A lot of people are making money on the anti-vax side and the vax side, and we'll talk more about it. Um, and that noise, in my view, is not the focus on the real solution. This is me as a biologist, as someone who studied health for nearly you know, 56 years. The real focus is a resilient system. How do we build immune systems that are resilient? As long as from this vax, anti-vax noise, we're letting the government get away, and we're allowing certain people who have a horse in the game um, to perpetuate this. The real issue is immune system resilience. And when you start looking at that, you start finding out many, many things that are the big elephant in the room, okay? No pun intended, right? Obesity, right? Loneliness, depression. These things have immense effects on the immune system, which we're not discussing. In fact, it gives governments a essentially a very nice get out of jail free card, not to talk about the real public health issues. So those are the three key findings. Let me now sort of just share with you the analysis. Um, some of you uh, may have gotten the data, but for those of you who are new, it's important to understand what is the data, right? How did we get it? Uh, what was the format and how did we bring it in? Okay. Now the data I got actually the day before my 60th birthday on December 1st, um, uh, we received the data, but this was after the release of other people had done it. And I wish we had had, we all released it together because then it would essentially uh, have provided a much more, you know, overall conversation for everyone to see. The data was in what's called comma separated values, essentially a flat file, uh, 4,193 
and 438 records. So imagine a big spreadsheet of 4 million. 4 million records. Sorry, 4 million, thank you, Kim. 193,438 uh, records. Um, the problem is you can't load this into a spreadsheet. Uh, I think Excel has 30, 40,000 limits. Um, so we had to bring it into an SQL database. The field structure was nine fields. Sending site, which was the site, you know, uh, the, the location where the vaccine occurred, the dose number. Uh, people may have gotten one dose, two dose, three dose. The batch ID, which is the batch ID associated with that vaccine. When the date and the time of the service, when they actually got the vaccine, um, the date of birth of the individual, the date of death, the vaccine name, the vaccinator ID, and indnum is an anonymized value. Obviously, you cannot, at least in the United States and other countries, HIPAA um, compliance, you cannot put like, you know, Kim and his, you know, where he lives and all that. So you have a, a number. So these are the nine fields. Okay. So this was a raw NZ data that we got. Uh, if I've missed anything, you know, uh, we can update it later. But this was a core data. This was sucked into SQL. Okay. Again, um, of so what the what the four million one hundred ninety three thousand four hundred thirty eight records is unique records of a vaccination record. Now these were done. Now remember, this data is not the complete data. There's close to potentially 12 million, 13 million vaccination records. Um, and this is about a third of that, okay? And these vaccination records are from pay uh, to uh, uh, pay to dose, right? Where you go to, pay, uh, you go to a place um, um, that you get a dose from, okay? Paper dose. Their physical location, like a CVS in the United States, those kind of locations. So they do not include, and we'll come back to this, all the other vaccination data. So you can think about it broadly, it's missing 60% of the other data, but it's about 33%. Those vaccinations are across um, 2,215,729 individuals. So obviously some individuals may have gotten more than one vaccination and we'll go through that, okay? So that's what that is. And then of those 2,215,729, if I go back to this, remember there's a field in here called DOD, date of death. Some of those records had the date of death field filled out. Therefore, um, that would indicate that person died, okay? Doesn't mean they died from the vaccine. It means they died and we'll get back to the period that we're looking at, so around a two and a half year period. So there were close to 37,316 deaths. Again, these deaths are not attributable to the vaccine. They're deaths indicated of that person during this period in the database, okay? Again, the raw data. And again, just to give you a little more data, this is a SQL query, just to let everyone know, we actually had the raw data, you run it, and it brings up, there's nine different kinds of vaccines under a field called vaccine name. So predominantly it was the Pfizer vaccine, but it does not mean that was the only vaccine. There were nine different kinds of vaccines. Um, what was the period of this data? So how do we assess that? Well, so we looked at was the duration in our view goes from, or the data shows from April 30th, 2021 to, um, uh, to uh, 
October 1st, 2023. Okay. So the first vaccine shot, actually, it should you can look at it also as um, October 7th, but I'll, I'll explain why. But the first vaccine shot was on uh, April 30th, 2021. And that's in the field when the first vaccine shot took place. The first death reported was on May 11th, 2021. Okay. The last vaccine shot was 10 2023. And the last death reported was 10 7. So we could change this to 10 7. It's not going to matter that much, but that's when the last death was reported. But we kept it as a last vaccine shot, but we could also do it as 10 7. So that's that duration. Okay. So that's a duration of 2.44 years, roughly. Okay. Um, I want to thank the guys over, you know, we have all this data, but they, um, the Principia guys also um, have some of this data loaded in uh, and you can access it online actually uh, now. Um, this has just happened, I think, uh, earlier today, last night. But um, what you see here is this is a vaccines by day. Okay. So if you look at the day, again, we're starting here around April 30th to October 1st around here. And you can see the vaccines uh, being given by day. Um, Kim and I, when we were looking at this earlier, obviously, um, a lot of people took the vaccine initially. And then towards the end, um, less people took the vaccine and in between. So you have this sort of decaying sinusoid. But this is a vaccines by day. Again, this is just looking at the raw data. Um, one thing we want to mention is we did find an anomaly. There's four people who died before the vaccination began, which means before April 30th. And those were some of the records. So we eliminated that. So there's a slight correction, very minor. So we removed four, you know, from each one of these items. Okay. Four records. So that's what the final data looks like. If you look by deaths by dose, so what's a dose? A dose is someone, and by the way, these are people who only got one dose, only got two, only the people who got three, four, so you don't have crossover. And it looks you know, like a normal distribution there, but you have doses by deaths. Um, again, it gives you that the most um, deaths were attributed to people, again, not attributed, but the uh, of the people who got three doses, um, the uh, within that group uh, were the most number of deaths in that group. Doesn't mean the the the, the vaccine caused those deaths. Fourteen thousand four hundred seventy nine. Okay. And well, let me just remind everyone who has joined uh, and wasn't here at the beginning. Uh, Doctor Steva is live streaming his slides, and if you want to uh, find one of the three links on the top of the. Uh, space as a as a tweet of Dr. Shiva, so you can find the links there, and you can follow his presentation while you are listening to us uh, in here, or you can even switch to the audio on a stream. So if you want to see what he's talking about and have visuals, uh, you can go to one of those links. Great, thank you, Kim. So again, uh, to everyone joining, again we are uh, we began with the key findings, which we'll come back to um, at a high level. Um, and now we're just presenting the data that was sucked in from um, the uh, New Zealand um, release, okay? Um, another look, you know I mean? So you can cut and slice this data uh, every way. If people can go to the Principia Scientific site and you can uh, find more of this. Um, I wanna thank those guys for uh, doing a great job on this, but you can look at the batch IDs by death, 
Okay, we have all of this data internally also. Um, batch IDs by depth. So along um, the x-axis, right, you're seeing the different batch numbers and the different deaths. Um, again, the, the reason you see these humps is because of when the, you know, the batches were released during those periods, okay? But that's the batch IDs um, by uh, death. And then you can also look at the batch by age, right? Which ages of people got which batch. And by the way, you can cut and slice the state in many, many different ways. This is a deaths by day, right? So again, starting in April 30th over to October, again, one, you see the number of deaths occurring by day, okay? Again, this is just the raw data. Um, this is a plot of a histogram, um, which is basically on the x-axis, you have the bins of all the different ages, and then the number of deaths uh, for each of those bins. And what you see here is around, you know, 80, I think 80.2, somewhere around here um, is where the most, you know, highest age group with the most number of deaths. Interesting enough, uh, 82, that is, uh, um, you know, the life expectancy in the average life expectancy in New Zealand. So that's right at that peak. So this sort of matches with that. And there's various ways we can uh, look at different data uh, on this, but this is from 2020. Okay. Um, so those are just the data. If you guys got the data and you sucked it in, you would you should get the same results. Um, maybe they may be off by a couple of data points if you, uh, and I'll explain why. So there were some issues and gaps in the data. Number one, we have to be very, very, you know, this is the big elephant in the room, is there's no records of unvaccinated people with their outcomes, right? We don't have all the unvaccinated people and their death and survival, okay? So we don't have that. This is not a full picture of the vaccine history of a vaccinee. What, what, what I mean by that is this data is capturing the vaccinations at particular locations, what they call paper dose, okay? PPD. Um, the issue here is a vaccinee, let's say there was someone who got three doses, and two of those doses were at locations captured in this data set, and so, there's a gap of one dose because they may have gone somewhere else. So people are gonna do time series across analysis by doses. You can't minimize this um, because that would be flawed, okay? The other piece is one would think a batch ID of a vaccine would be for a particular vaccine. Now what we discovered there's multiple vaccines with the same batch ID. So here's an example, albeit Pfizer BioNTech isn't is a majority, but it's a little bit interesting and I haven't had a chance to follow up because we don't know who to follow up with this with is um, the, the why there are multiple vaccines associated with a single batch ID. Maybe that's a process that they have uh, within the New, New Zealand health group, okay? And you see that again here. So batch 41 and 42 are not really one vaccine, they're associated with multiple ones, okay? Again, you see the Pfizer BioNTech being the predominant one, it's probably 90% plus. Um, so one needs to be careful. Um, I know this data was derived and given to some people. Some people didn't have the opportunity to get the raw data. So some people did say, okay, here's a batch ID for a particular batch, here's a number dead. Um, and then there's percentages. We just need to be aware that a particular batch does not mean necessarily it's from a particular vaccine. Again, we wanna be very specific and particular here, okay? Um, there was also some duplicate data, meaning some individuals 
had multiple, uh, there were duplicates. And this could have been, um, it was just entered in multiple times. So it's about 47 records like that. Now, let's go to the analysis. Now, epidemiology, biostatistics is a very specific field. And um, one has to be careful, you know, computational analysis of this. Uh, there's methodologies that need to be applied. And we need to be sensitive to these professionals in the field um, about this. So, but let me just explain, I'll give you the simple, sort of one of the key things um, in epidemiology, it's called a cohort study. Cohort, which means you're comparing one with another or one with a series of other things, okay? But in a cohort study in epidemiology, the key thing is you're calculating a risk ratio. Again, to everyone who's a little bit rusty on math, don't worry, we're going to walk through this slowly, okay? Um, a cohort study is you're calculating a risk. What are you calculating a, a, the risk on? A ratio, remember, is one thing divided by another, right? So what you're looking at is, is the incidence of some outcome, and you're looking at two groups, cohort. The exposed, they were exposed to something, could be a vaccine, a drug, you know, mosquito bite, you know, whatever, smoking, versus the people who were not exposed to that uh, cohort, okay? So, and you're looking at both of those groups and you're looking at a particular outcome, all right? And then you say the risk ratio, you say, okay, let me look at the people who were exposed, that's called the index group, and how it affected them. And let's look at the reference group, the people who were unexposed. So this is like the basis of any epidemiological study, quote unquote, and there's gold, gold standards around this, okay? So I'll give you a simple example for people who are new to this. Let's assume um, you wanted to figure out the incident, well, should you smoke or not? Is smoking good or is it bad? Is it gonna cause cancer, right? Just like is uh, getting a vaccine or not getting a vaccine, which is gonna cause, you know, can a vaccine cause death? So the outcome is death in that case. The outcome here is cancer, and you're looking at the exposed cohort, which is you're exposing someone smoking and the person who's not smoking, okay? Very simple. So now I'm gonna give you some data here. So let's assume you have two columns of people smoke, which means they're being exposed to smoke, they're smoking, and so this would be the index group, and then the reference group are the people who are not exposed. Similarly, if you had, vaccine and not vaccinated. And then you would look at people who developed the outcome, lung cancer we're looking at, and the people who did not develop, okay? So that's the outcome, all right? And then when you do your risk ratio, you'd say, okay, one out of eight people, you know, were, you know, um, uh, that's the incidence of lung cancer in the smokers, and one out of 60, much less in the non-smokers. You do the ratio and this gives you a definitive, you know, you can determine that there's 7.5 times chance of getting cancer from smoking, okay? Again, very, very simple, all right? Again, this is not meant to be an epidemiology course. We don't want to overwhelm people, but again, we want to be very simple. Um, uh, it's very important to make this stuff simple, not throw all sorts of formulas and graphs so you confuse people. And then you can go on some very, as a, from an educational standpoint, I want to be sensitive to that. That's why I wanted to give you this example. Again, very simple, okay? Now, let's go to this. Now, let's say you applied this to this data 
with the New Zealand data, okay? And the incidence of death is what we would look at. The outcome here is death, which is what the um, quote-unquote mother of all revelations is that we have proof that one in a thousand people are dying, okay? This was a mother of all revelations. We have absolute proof on this. Well, in order to do this, you would have to, again, follow the same process. The outcome is dead or not dead. You have vaccinated and non-vaccinated. The vaccinated people who died, we know were 37,000, or sorry, if you assumed all those people who got vaccinated died, uh, or the, the dead people um, in this data were from the vaccines, you'd say 37,312, and the not dead were the remaining. And then the non-vaccinated, here's the problem, we don't know. We don't have this data. We don't know how many people of the non-vaccinated died and how many did not die, nor do we have their numbers. So if you try to do the calculation, you'd come up with about 1.68% on the numerator, and we do not know what this answer is, okay? Um, so therefore, you cannot say that you have the mother of all revelations saying that you have found the way that people are dying from being vaccinated. And again, you're talking to somebody who's been on the front lines, massive protests, you know, stopping, you know, as the first guy in March of 2020 to say the lockdowns were wrong, et cetera. So again, it would, would have been, it would have been great to have this data, but this is indeterminate, okay? We do not know if you apply the basics of epidemiology, all right? Now, this is what was purported, the data proving the COVID vaccines have killed over 10,000. It's time for criminal charges to be filed. Again, you can go look at my history long before a lot of the effect, the events that you're talking about now. This has been a long march of mine for health and well-being, but I have to be very honest with you. This is coming from this analysis of 10,000. So we're looking at 2017 to 2019, and then 2021 to 2023, and the and the issue is there's excess debts, and therefore those excess debts must be attributable to the vaccine. This is not anyway a good scientific method to follow at minimum. Um, as we will discuss, many events took place during this time. Lockdowns took place. People were stuck at home. And we'll talk about the effects that lockdowns have from a systems biology standpoint. But this is frankly a big leap to say this, and it's not supported by the data. And to definitively say the data proving the COVID vaccines have killed over 10,000, in my view, actually hurts many of the people who've been in the medical freedom movement for many, many years. You have to wonder why someone would make statements like that. So anyway, we'll come back to that. Now, one way some have approached this is to say, we're gonna do a cohort study, a different kind of study where you're not comparing the exposed to the unexposed, but you're looking at people over time who were exposed to different events, which is called, in this case, the events would be those people got one dose, those people got two doses, those people got three doses, and you map it over time. In the interest of I could throw up lots of equations and I do not believe that's the appropriate because you would confuse people and I would basically use that confusion to convince and I don't want to do that. All I can tell you is that a, another way you could do the analysis is time cease co cohort where you're creating records over time 
bucketing people by did they get one dose, two dose, three doses, and their deaths. And doing that analysis is what was done in this case. And the proof was one in a thousand people, uh, uh, one in 10,000 deaths, one in a thousand deaths were caused by the vaccine. Unfortunately, and then, you know, data like this was put out there. Unfortunately, the problem is this, okay? The time series cohort studies based on these doses over time to people. But this data has major flaw on not unknowing if an individual actually got that number of doses. Because as the uh, whistleblower shared with me, there's gaps in this, okay? Now you can try to hand wave it and you can say, well, it's a lot of data, we have lots of records. Well, it's not appropriate to do that. You need to have the, the full data and we don't have it here. And then why is that inappropriate? Because the data is incomplete. An individual may have gotten more doses, but would be in another data set. And Barry admitted this to me when we first got this data up front. And he was concerned, you know, of the fact that people, you know, of, of this particular process, in fact. Um, and then we have to re recall an individual may have gotten more doses, but it's not in this data set, okay? So if we're gonna do a time series cohort study on doses, you have to be very, very careful. It's flawed to do that if you don't have all the dose data, which we don't. Now the proof, if you actually look at it carefully, is derived using this time series from deaths in the 60 plus group of people who died after six months. Now the problem is uh, the rise in mortality is only present in senior citizens, not in children or younger. And the other artifact is people are living longer in New Zealand. People live quite long there. In fact, the last data item in this was someone was living, a number of people are living to 110. Obviously, as people live longer, there's going to be a higher probability of death. Okay. So the time series data for the 60 plus group said, wow, we found it. People are dying, you know, um, in one in a thousand. Um, and we have the proof. Well, that is in the 60 plus group. Now you have to remember that this is very important to understand that New Zealand actually had a negative, a negative mortality rate. Um, and this is from the government data as people, as the lockdowns were taking place, you know, people were stuck at home, the mortality went down and then it came back up, okay? And if you look at the actual data, which is what the time series data uh says is proof um and then you look at the actual age of these people if you look at people from zero to four all the way to up to 60 look at the y-axis here it's very low it's five out of a thousand new zealand's death rate over the last 10 15 years has been anywhere between um you know 6.5 to 7.2 out of a thousand so it's below that so the death rate is not that big in the younger groups. However, as you notice here, in the elderly groups, it is high, okay? So the time series, quote unquote, cohort study, which is flawed, is simply predicting the 60 plus, which is obvious in many ways, okay? And this has already been, because as people get older, you notice the age specific death rates is gonna be higher. This is why I said it's a nothing burger. So, and also in time series cohort studies, if you're doing epidemiology and modeling, you would do multiple approaches and you would do sensitivity analysis. That's non-existent here. Um, 
when you compare mortality to pre-pandemic baselines, that wasn't done because the data is insufficient. The net of this comes down to a very simple fact. The New Zealand government must release the full data set. That's where this really comes to. You know, obviously anonymize, et cetera. And this is something, you know, many people in the field have been saying nearly for the last 20 years that these kinds of data sets should be made, made available. This is not anything new. The issue is, will the government do it? And the, by the government not doing it, we're continuing to uh, perpetuate this pro-anti-vaccine dialectic. And it doesn't help, I think, the public get to the heart of the issues, um, which is really about talking about immune health. All right. So that's what, um, you know, I wanted to talk about. By the way, I think I mentioned a lot of this stuff, you know, for me, um, you know, this has been a long battle, you know, a battle meaning focusing the world really on the the immune health issues. Um, in 2019, I was invited by the National Science Foundation. Uh, this is uh, and I was doing many, many protests, many, many events. Uh, fighting against the mandates, because my, in my view, the real issue is the immune system is a very complex system, and this needs to move beyond pro or anti-vax. We need to really talk about the fact that the it's about the right medicine for the right person at the right time. And so I had been invited, the National Science Foundation invites typically one person to give the prestige talk. So I gave the talk on the modern theory of the immune system. Shortly thereafter, we ran one of the biggest protests against the lockdowns. Um, by the way, many people like uh, Robert Kennedy were supporting lockdowns, um, and it's important to understand that, um, including Trump and Fauci. Um, we ran some of the biggest rallies in New Jersey. I ran the Fire Fauci campaign in 2020, okay? Um, so if anything, I had a horse in the game with science. And this was a tweet I did in March of 2020, uh, letting people know that the coronavirus fear-mongering by the deep state will go down in history as the biggest fraud to manipulate economies suppress dissent and push mandated medicine. However, having said all this, I um, really believe we should always do the right science or we're gonna um, support one wing or the other. In fact, I wrote a letter to Trump in 2020. Uh, Marla Maples' um, ex-wife delivered it to the White House. We spoke to them. I said, look, do not lock down the country. Take those people who are absolutely sick and really need it, fine. But the rest of the people can be supported by protocols, which I still believe in, vitamin D3, quercetin, zinc. We didn't make a penny off any of this. And you can go, many of you remember this. Um, we helped people, but Trump didn't listen, right? He was following Fauci. And again, uh, people like Robert Kennedy were promoting lockdowns. And there are other people who are promoting them, uh, which is inappropriate, okay? We did hearings, all right? Um, and then we ran a very, very important, we ran two conferences, 2,000, 3,000 people showed up educating the public, we need to go beyond the vax and the anti-vax and talk about immune health. And I just want to, as I close on this, um, Kim, is that, look, you know, as a scientist who does this, who's been doing this for a long time, is considered one of the leading guys on the immune systems, let me just tell you, this is where the fundamental problem comes, and we all need to focus on this. And we've done many conferences on this. Many people who follow me know this, but I think it's good to repeat to some of the new people here. In 1915, when we built the model of the immune system, the idea was you have your innate immune system, which is all the stuff in your nose, your eyes, your ears, all these amazing cells that you have that when a pathogen comes or whatever, some people don't believe in a virus, well, you can call it an antigen, whatever comes, 
your innate immune system has the ability to respond to it. The Marines come out and they try to take it out, which means they just fire everywhere. And that typically occurs in the first hours of the first days. After that, something called your adaptive immune system kicks in, which is the thing that produces the antibodies, okay? And that was from 1915 that's been around. When John Kennedy created the 1962 Vaccination Act, which I believe, in my opinion, should be repealed, um, but that Vaccination Act was based on a very old understanding of the immune system, which said, we're going to give a, an injection, a jab, and you're going to get these antibodies. And that allowed government to come into our bodies, that 1962 Act, okay? The 1962 Kennedy Vaccination Act. 24 years later, people are getting injured. They're suing in this court, that court, et cetera. The brother of John Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, was a co-sponsor of a bill which protected all the pharma companies. So we have to remember this. Now we have people promoting, quote unquote, safe vaccines, which still means more government. All right. It does not get at the heart of the issue, which I want to talk about, which is the right medicine, the right person at the right time. But let's just level set from a systems biology standpoint. This is a very old model of the immune system. Now, my work and my PhD work focused on there's another component of the immune system called the interferon system. Very briefly put, you know, I've done quite a bit of work on this, but this system is the part of your immune system that's the middleware between the innate and the adaptive. And it contains thousands of genes that can get turned on. My point is, without getting into the details, there's another component of the immune system that people never focused on in 1915, all right? And I've modeled it, discussed it. But more recently, we now know the gut has this amazing, uh, you know, 300 trillion or different uh, microbes and 60 trillion, sorry, 60 trillion microbes and potentially 380 trillion, what's called the virome. We have the vagus nerve. This is much more of a much more accurate understanding in, in the 2020s of the immune system. This is what I delivered at the National Science Foundation to engineers. And the model is more and more people are recognizing we need to take a systems approach to immunology. The immune system affects many subsystems. And in fact, this paper in Nature said, we got to go way beyond 1915. But the policies of the governments of the world are based on a 1915 model of the immune system. This vax, anti-vax, in my view, dialectic is based on a very old understanding of the immune system. So you have a pathogen which you can you which you can get. So you don't decide to take the vaccine and you get the cold and you get the sniffles and you move on. Or you decide to get the vaccine. The fundamental issues, what are the risks of being exposed? What are those benefits? What are the risks of getting the vaccine and what are those benefits? So this is what we call the risk benefit. Now typically in engineering in any science, you would create these risk matrices. Well, this is really not done today, okay? We don't do this from an engineering standpoint in the field of risk management, and this is what should be done. And, you know, many of us in the field have been talking about this for 30 years. And you would create these matrices, people who got it based on different types of proclivities, right? Whether they have autoimmunity, and you would create these matrices. We do this, you know, actuaries do this in the field of, uh, whether, how they're going to give insurance. Obviously, a teenager who's carrying, you know, has lots of friends, he's going to pay a lot more insurance because he has a higher risk. Okay. Uh, in engineering, uh, this is very important. You know, in the field of, let's say, uh, civil engineering, if you know a lot of bridges in the United States are about to fall apart, right? But how many, how should you make an intervention? Now, 
you have to measure the risk. Will that intervention cause more risk, right? So people do a lot of risk assessment, but for some reason in this industry, that risk assessment is not done. So typically you'd follow the scientific method. Um, in the case of vaccines, the highest scientific method, again, this would be what are called the experimental studies. What we're looking at with the New Zealand data is observational studies, right? After the fact, in the if we were truly dedicated to the scientific approach, you would do double blind uh, studies, saline placebos. In the vaccine field, believe it or not, when they do the placebo, it still has the adjuvants in it. Um, the Gardasil vaccine was one of the ones where they also added the saline. But by and large, there's not really a standard of process that's followed, right? At best, it's comparative, it's post hoc, retrospective. So for example, Here's a retrospective study, vaccinated versus partially vaccinated. And it basically um, reveals that yes, people um, you know, have some adverse reactions. Other comparative studies show that the vaccine is ineffective, right? It doesn't really do much. Um, now in New Zealand, you know, the elephant in the room, no pun intended, no joke here, obesity is a big epidemic. Um, uh, the Maoris, for example, have 50% obesity. And we know obesity from a molecular system standpoint completely screws up the immune system, all right? And if you um, recognize, one of the things I wanna have people really recognize is, look, when you get an antigen coming into you, most, I think medical doctors fully probably don't understand this, it's not like this virus or the antigen is eating away at your body. Again, listen very carefully. If you have a resilient immune system, which means your body is able to take a hit and able to come back. You go to work out, you stress your body, you come back stronger. The body is intended to be resilient. So the key term I want everyone to take away from today is we really need to move away from this vax, anti-vax stuff to the concept of immune resilience and hold our public health officials accountable. Are you going to do stuff to support my immune resilience? And immune resilience comes from many factors being exposed to stuff when you're a child. Immune resilience comes from, you know, being exposed, supporting your body with nutrients and all sorts of different uh, activities that you can do and making sure you don't do certain things that destroy your body. I'll give you one of them that destroys your body doing lockdowns. By the way, here's a simple system example. You have your immune system, you're getting all sorts of in input into your immune system and you get an output. Well, obviously you're getting viruses. Right now you're being exposed to viruses, stress, pollution, pesticides, unemployment, family problems, all these things. Now, if your body is resilient and it's strong, right? You're healthy. Everyone gets exposed to problems, okay? Now, if your body is weakened, you're gonna get different diseases. Now, what weakens your body? What supports your body? Number one reason people live long. Everyone should listen to this. Number one reason people live long. I was just in. Sardinia uh, last year on a, on a science uh, conference. Sardinia has the people that live the oldest centenarians, 100 plus. Number one reason people live long is not taking vitamins, not about whether you take vaccines or not. It's not about you know exercising, social interactions, community. What did we do during this period? We locked down people. It should really be, are you pro-lockdown or anti-lockdown? That discussion has been subsumed but people totally focus on this vax, anti-vax. It's important, but two interventions the government did, vaccines and they did lockdowns. 
But social interactions, I can tell you conclusively, is one of the most important things to advance human health. And by the way, most of the scientific conferences today, the immune system and aging are totally interrelated. I've written a number of papers on this in peer-reviewed journals. But when we did lockdowns, people got depressed, anxiety went up. And we know the anti-anxiety medications, the antidepressants, the anti-insomnia drugs affect your immune system, okay? The other thing we need to recognize is social relationships. We've, we've known this since the 80s, are the key to health. People in Sardinia live long. They have the old families, the communities, people hang out. They're not isolated, okay? Very important paper work done by Stephen Cole, loneliness is a molecule. Uh, Cole definitively showed that we have particular genes that can, when they're, they can be down-regulated or up-regulated. They get down-regulated when you're lonely and you shut down your body's antiviral response. Think about what I'm saying. We locked down people. We took away the sun for them during lockdowns. This had immense effects that's proven at the molecular systems level. We can argue all day about vaccines and not vaccines with whatever, you know, frankly, incomplete data. But this is a big elephant in the room. People were significantly affected by these lockdowns. And we know at the molecular systems level, it's in primates, that you actually turn on inflammation and you downregulate viral response. Your body is an amazing engine. And this occurred. Look at this important thing Cole's work showed. The lack of social connection is greater than obesity, greater than smoking, greater than high blood pressure, more inflammation, less responsive immune systems. So to me, having been involved in this, frankly, I get very, very concerned about the grift of people jumping in, jumping out, safe vaccines, not safe vaccines. This is a big elephant in the room. What did lockdowns do? And again, some people who are in the anti-vax movement promoting Kennedy must remember he promoted lockdowns, promoted it in March of 2020, saying it was gonna change the climate. All right, so strong social connections, 50% increase in chance of longevity, strengthens your immune system. The genes impacted by the loneliness code for immune function and inflammation, and you recover from disease faster. So this is a very, very important thing. This is a big elephant in the room. Food and nutrition. During that period, I must have done 50, 60 videos using my scientific knowledge, educating people, and we, we know we saved lots and lots of people's lives. And finally, let me conclude by the motivation here of governments and their collusion with pharma companies. Look, in since 1980, people have known this. The red line represents pharmaceutical companies' investment in R&D. And the, and, the and the other graph represents the fact over time, even the FDA is not approving their drugs because of the toxicity. And you can see this here, pharma companies spend more and more money on R&D. The $1 they suspend on R&D used to give them a 10 cents return. Now it only gives them 1.8 cents return. And take Pfizer in this, the reason I wanna bring Pfizer in this case, can be, we know Pfizer is the main vaccine here. Pfizer's revenue, and I've been talking about this for three years. This is the, again, the big elephant in the room. Pfizer's revenue went from 65 billion down to 40 billion. Just look at that graph. Here's a failed company. Their revenue is tanking, it's going down. And many of us in the field have known that all the pharmaceutical companies are not doing well. It's a multi-trillion dollar industry in despair. They are looking for new sources of revenue, all right? 
Biden brought 500 million of Pfizer coronavirus vaccine, sure helped them. He got donations from Pfizer during his inauguration. Bad guy, you may say, but guess what? To all you Trumpers out there, Trump also got money from Pfizer. He claimed he was against big pharma, but he took a million and there's his FEC records of 1 million bucks, okay? Again, look at this graph. Pfizer's revenue from 2006 to 2020 is going down. And right after all of this stuff, because of Trump and Biden, Pfizer's revenue gets a beautiful, beautiful boost here, okay? Quite incredible, the amount of revenue these guys made. So let me just finish, you know, I mean, I could continue here, but I'm gonna end here, Kim, um, at least on this, and then you and I can have yeah, a comment. I would like to break things down. There's so much yeah. interesting stuff in here. If you don't mind, sure. Uh, I, will go, I will go and ask you a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. What a, what a beautiful uh, presentation. I've learned a lot, uh, and I've, I've been very, very happy to see all of these slides with uh, so much uh, data. Um, can you take us to the slide um, of daily doses? Yes, sure. There was, there was a graph uh, with uh, like three waves of uh, people taking vaccines. Yeah, I think that was all the way up front. Let me let me go to that. Yeah, I think that was when I uh, let me just uh, Kim. Um, I think yeah. I have the data here. Yeah. One thing I just wanted for the new people who came in late. Let me just reemphasize, and I'm going to show that data. The key results of the finding here is that this is not the mother of all revelations. The main conclusion is we cannot and must not conclude anything from this data. And the three findings are the data has gaps, it's incomplete, and it's unusable for concluding either risk or no risk. In New Zealand, the time series stuff actually supports a government position of lockdowns were effective for saving elderly people, even though it's flawed in my view, okay? And the government must release a full data set. I think this, everyone will probably concur on. Whether you're pro-vax, anti-vax, finding that because the data is inconclusive and incomplete the the only thing that the government should do is release all the data so that uh, you can actually have this cohort information and you can actually look at uh, uh, you know where is the excess death coming from and but this is something we can all agree on there is uh, excess death uh, all around the world the, the statistics are pretty clear um, but in my view, in your presentation, it's almost a lose-lose situation for any government because was it the vaccine that killed these people or was it the lockdowns? If it's either of them, the government in both cases loses. And is that potentially the reason why they are withholding this data, why they are not willing to share it, why the New Zealand government went so far to you know, shut down websites and, and, and get links removed and uh, accounts deleted uh, on a variety of websites in order to try and stop the spread of this, uh, of this data. But can you take me to Yes, yeah, let me, let, let me bring that up. I'm bringing that up right now. Uh, and by the way, for anyone who joins late, there's a link in the nest up on top uh, from Dr. Shiva, a tweet and you can uh, see three live streaming links. So you can either watch this on YouTube, Twitch, or uh, Rumble, um, and then you can see what we are talking about. There you go, Kim. I think, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I had it here. Let's, um, so let me bring this data up that it was one of the items that uh, we presented here. 
which was the actual data of the daily dose. Here we go. Vaccines by day. Yeah. So uh, what I'm seeing here is that in the very beginning, when the fear was the greatest, when the when the hype about how bad this uh, pandemic is, how bad this virus is, that's the peak of uh, uh, daily vaccinations. Correct. Exactly. And then you see the second wave of vaccination was already about 25% lower. And then the one after that uh, is only about 30% of what the first vaccination wave was. So over time, with people getting more educated about the vaccines, with people, you know, actually uh, able to hear the opinions of others, of, you know, the Joe Rogans of this world, of the podcasters that were telling people about vaccine damage and doctors talking, you know, at conferences about what they are experiencing with their patients, how, how they are concerned about the vaccines. So you see over time, the willingness of people to take these vaccines is coming down. And of course, any kind of pro-vax, non-vax uh, fight and debate is always going to create uncertainty with the population. And that's why over time, uh, these vaccination numbers go down. And I think never again, New Zealand is going to allow uh, the government to subject them to lockdowns and mandated vaccines, isn't that? The yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Kim, it's two things, right? There were, I, I think the key thing is that there was the two interventions, right? Or multiple things were taking place, right? You had the vaccine intervention and lockdowns. Then you had the fact that people are getting educated and there was a relaxation of lockdowns too, right? So the fundamental issue is when you look at something like this, what is the solution? And the solution ultimately comes down to, A, we need the data, but more importantly, this concept in my position of doing global lockdowns was nonsense, you know? It never made any sense. And just to- and When the government tells you that they are the sole provider of truth and everything else of this disinformation, but then they go out and make statements like, if you take this vaccine, there will be no transmission of COVID. You will be, you will, you won't die. You won't have to go to the hospital, you know. And all these lies that they were telling people, and you know, then all of that got exposed because we knew the efficacy is is not right. All the data that they provide is not right. All these stories that they told us is not right. Why would people believe anything they say at this point? So the only solution really is for the government to be completely transparent about this data. Now that we have a third of the data, which is really not making good case for the government either way, it's the vaccine or the lockdowns that were killing people and causing these excess deaths. So the best thing that they can do to avoid similar mistakes in the next potential pandemic is to be totally transparent about this data, release it in an anonymized form so that uh, scientists can really go in uh, deep into the data and make the conclusions that are necessary to learn from what happened in the COVID pandemic to really have better measures uh, for the next one. Yeah, I think one of the other things uh, uh, I can't overemphasize here, Kim, from a system standpoint, 
um, from an engineering standpoint, you know, uh, we have to, I have to bring this up. And I think you and I discussed this is, look, um, as a scientist who spent his life in this field, what was unfortunate was, um, I saw this back in 2020. I think I shared with this. This was a letter I wrote to Trump. It was delivered to me. I want to go over a couple of parts of this, Kim. It's very important as we close this discussion. This was written, you notice the date, uh, Kim, March of 2020. This was when the so-called pandemic first hit. We need also to recognize many MDs, frankly, do not understand the immune system. The knowledge of the immune system is not broadly shared, even in medical school. The idea that people have of a virus, if you talk to the average person, oh my God, this thing attacks you and it eats away at your body, right? So I have to do something to protect that by taking something exogenously. Um, when I wrote this to Trump, think about this date now, in March of 2020, it said, Mr. President, this letter provides your administration a solution to restore the immune and economic health of the American people. This solution can be executed immediately in a low cost, low risk and effective manner. By the way, this solution is still valid right now. The current trajectory of Anthony Fauci's public quote unquote health policy will result in the short and long-term destruction of our citizens' immune health, as well as our nation's economic health, perhaps conscious and unintended. By the way, $16 trillion were lost when you look at the overall value at that, from that time on. Fauci's policy at best is based on a 1950s outdated one-size-fits-all non-personalized approach to medicine and public health and at worst is derived from quote-unquote fake science understanding of the immune system which Mr. Dr. Fauci over five decades has perpetuated and exploited. There is no need to shut down our country. There is no need to quarantine all of our citizens. The solution herein provides a path to advance immune health of all of our citizens while getting healthy back to work. By way of background, two important developments in modern science emerged at the conclusion of the Human Genome Project in 2003. Again, I'm making it very simple because we have to write to Trump, right? Number one, the field of biological engineering. By the way, MIT, Kim, created the biological engineering department in 2003 because they recognized we needed an engineering for biology as there was an engineering for chemistry, chemical engineering, right? A new discipline demanding a modern engineering systems approach to biology versus the old model of seeing the body as disconnected parts and the need for precision and personalized medicine. And what that means, everyone, simply put, the right medicine for the right person at the right time. Guess what? My grandmother, who had no degrees in that small village, that's what she practiced, indigenous systems of medicine. Kim, if you had diabetes and I have diabetes, right? We didn't get the same treatments. As one of the first PhDs emerging from MIT's Department of Biological Engineering, in 2007, my research led to the invention of Cytosoft, today a proven technology that enables the discovery of medicines. And we can talk more about that. Developments like this and a richer understanding of biology now provide us a golden opportunity to create the future by practicing real science and real medicine. The modern science of the immune system informs us that it is the overreaction, everyone listen to this, of our own weakened immune and uh, our own weakened and dysfunctional immune system attacking our tissues and cells of our own body that harms and kills versus a virus, be it COVID-19 or any others. This is very important, Kim. So, you know, Ebola, oh my God, you know, I got Ebola and, it's, and, it's, and I'm bleeding to death. Let's be very clear. Every one of these exogenous antigens, a virus, right? They like to go hide out somewhere. Some of them like to go to the endothelial, which is in your heart. Others of them like to go to your lungs, right? The epithelial. 
Others like to go to your spine. Now, if your body has a resilient immune system, you're getting enough sun, your proper social relationships, guess what? Your body takes a hit, comes back punching, comes back. Okay, it's not the virus. It's the overreaction of the immune system. And the example I've given for many, many years to students I've taught is you have a car and you don't have shock absorbers. You hit a bump, you're going to overreact. The shock absorbers are food, diet, social relationship. The unfortunate medieval training of most medical doctors, this is why I came, all of these MDs who are grifting now, I'm sorry to say, including people like Bhattacharya, they were promoting lockdowns in 2020. Many MDs, when the time was right, when it was important to fucking speak out, excuse my language, in 2020, promoted lockdowns. And now they're writing books and talking about it. Sorry, you didn't say stuff in 2020. The unfortunate medieval training of most MDs receive, do not educate them on the basic science of the immune system. In healthy individuals, the immune system processes a pathogen with a natural immune response that is mild and non-lethal. However, in those who are immunocompromised, elderly, and with pre-existing conditions, their own immune system may overreact. In the case of COVID-19, attacking lung epithelial cells. And this is what happened. A lot of people's immune systems were overreacting. Then they put them on the ventilators. And early on in 20, March of 2020, I said, don't put these people on ventilators. There's many other interventions. So this is a solution, Kim, that still people can do today. It's very easy, whether it's New Zealand, whether it's Trump, et cetera. Organize our citizens into four groups. Those testing positive, let's say, hospitalized and in critical condition, the immunocompromised. Vast majority of us are healthy individuals. So this was a personalized approach. We can tweak it, but for group one, yes, fine, quarantine them. Fine, lock them down if you need to. And in my position, vitamin A, vitamin D. By the way, these protocols have been around for many, many years, well-documented in thousands of papers. Group two, more vitamin D. You can also deliver them vitamin C, IV. This has been well-documented for people in critical condition. And the immunocompromised, obviously you protect them. And you can also you know, give them similar protocols. The rest of us should have taken, gotten out in the sun, taken some vitamin D and A. We, there was no need to shut down the world. And we all know that shutting down the world, you know, <laughs> helped break the economy, slow down the economies. 600 billionaires made $2.3 trillion. And we have to look at the larger thing of what this quote unquote pandemic was and how it was really used to fuel printing of more money and hide failed economic systems. But this, Kim, is still the protocol. We can tweak it, but this is what we should be talking about. Not about pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-vax, anti-vax. I got the data, mother of all revelations. Come on. What is the purpose of that? You I mean, we, what you're saying is we can't really tell if it's the mother of all revelations until we have all the data. Yes. If you have all the data, you can make conclusive statements about this. Right now, you can't. And that's, you know, that's no blame to Barry Young, the whistleblower. Definitely not. This has nothing to do with blaming Barry. Definitely not. Yeah. Anyone who's reporting about this, uh, you know, they are not the problem. The problem is the lack of transparency that this data is not already available for analysis so that we can conclusively say, what happened here? Where are these excess deaths coming from? Yes. And I think, Kim, the, that's one piece, the data. The other piece is the emphasis that public health medical doctors need to focus on this concept of resilience. 
Now, when you take a systems approach to any system, you understand that resilience is the key. Now, resilience will demand, you know, that you have to implement other programs, right? What you eat, are you getting enough sleep, the environmental stuff, it's not any one piece. As I've shared over and over again, you know, in the United States right now, the lifespan of the average American, I don't know if I showed you this, Kim, is now less than the average lifespan of the of a child growing up today in the United States will be less than their parents. And this is not something that's caused by vaccines or any one thing, okay? And this is where we have to be clear because this vax, anti-vax discussion can be a wonderful profitability, you know, uh, you know, grifter opportunity. But let me show you this graph here. You know, this is a very important graph that everyone should understand. This is comes out of Kaiser Permanente. The United States life expectancy has been going down. It's not just a vaccine. It's been going down an upside down umbrella since 1918, 1980. Policies, stress, income inequality, you know, the social uh, isolation. And this curve is going to occur globally. And this is what I want really people to focus on. So if we want our governments to release data, we need to recognize that this play of not releasing data and having this vax anti-vax argument perpetuates and maybe by design, the dialectic of that dialectic and not going to the heart of the issue, which is the immune system is totally related to the aging systems. You see, three, about even five years ago, in the science conferences, they'd have the cancer conferences over here. They'd have the, the immune conferences over here. And then they'd have the conferences over here on, um, what do you call, on uh, aging, right? Nowadays, people are realizing, wait a minute, all of this stuff is related, okay? All of this stuff is related, and the conference is now recognizing the immune system and the anti-aging systems are the same, Kim. So if you wanna live long and prosper, you better protect your immune system. And it's not any one thing. Getting a jab or not a jab, in my view, doesn't resolve it. It's these fundamental systemic issues. In my view, the governments do not wanna release this data because of the collusion governments have with big ag, big pharma, big consumer packaged goods companies. And this is a systemic issue that, you know, my life has been about. And this is what I think we need to focus on. So a lot of the people jumping into the vax, anti-vax argument, we have this data, we have that data, I'm exposing this, particularly the MDs who are out there doing their roadshows right now. They need to get educated because the next time a pandemic occurs, we need to focus on the actual things that are going to build the immune system, not the reactionary things that you use to grift out there. The fundamental thing is the immune system, the immune system, the immune system. That is how we live long. And one of the fundamental ways we live long, Kim, is social interactions. What do lockdowns do? They destroy social interactions. I, as a dark-skinned Indian, I need seven to 15 times more sun than a white person does, okay? Well, you lock down a lot of dark people, you lock down a lot of Maoris, you lock down a lot of black people, all right? We have to get back to this fundamentals of what supports the immune system. Yeah, I mean, uh, that makes perfect sense, right? You want to uh, prepare your body to be able to deal with uh, any kind of uh, virus or uh, problem that attacks it. And in order to do that, you need to have, have a, a, a good, healthy li lifestyle, you know, and you don't want... Uh, 
products to be promoted that are uh, you know causing your immune system to be uh, weakened or be in an environment that weakens it or having you know mental health issues that are also like you said uh, you know helping the immune system to be weaker um let me ask you something about what do you think the, the new zealand government has to do now and why you think they have to do it well, I think the most important thing, the New Zealand government, you know, and I think there's, you know, uh, well-meaning people there, right? I think the most important thing the new New Zealand government needs to do is they should, uh, A, release all the data, obviously anonymized, you know? Um, and I think that data analysis should ideally not only include these nine fields, Kim, should include other events, you see? Um, the, ideally, you would release data on people's use of antidepressants, right? Um, other uh, elements, which could help us give a holistic view of not only vax or no vax, but also the issue of the other interventions people were undergoing during lockdowns, which affected their health. This is very, very important, right? Uh, we know, as I mentioned, the antidepressant medications, how much they affect, and I, I've done a whole podcast on this probably two, three years ago, and at the molecular systems level, what these other interventions did to people's immune systems. So any other data, ideally they would release the anonymized data of, it, of the interventions, of the deaths that took place and the events that led to those deaths. You say, were they on machines, right? All those kinds of things. I mean, I can put together a list of data items that we can talk about, but this is what would really help all of us, for that matter, them to understand if you're gonna do lockdowns, what kinds of lockdowns should you do, right? Who, you know, when if you're going to promote vaccines, then recognize that there are certain groups of people, um, if you do the risk analysis a priori, should not be getting vaccines, you say, or should be told, hey, look, we're the government, we're in bed with big pharma. Yes, we make a lot of money. We're going to say everyone should get a vaccine, but we don't, we're not going to push the mandates. And then they also give some education saying these are the kinds of things that you're going to have adverse reactions to, you know but not in the footnotes, Kim, right? Openly, this transparency is what I've been talking about since 2003, not something, you know, it was sort of convenient to do in 2020, as some of these politi politicians are now saying. So, yeah. um, so let, let me ask you this then. In New Zealand, we just had a change of government. The people, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, the people have been in charge of the whole COVID response. They are now gone. And they lost, uh, you know, really hard in the last election. They were punished for what they did uh, during during COVID. Um, wouldn't it be the wise thing for the new government to change course and be transparent and be a leader in the world that allows experts like yourself to investigate what is really causing these excess deaths and then be prepared for the next pandemic much better with the knowledge of that data and the results of the analysis of that data i mean wouldn't that be the leadership type of thing to do to do what's right for all new zealanders and then hopefully uh, other countries will follow the new zealand model and just be completely transparent i mean it's not really about punishing anyone at this point you know you you did say a lot of people in government for sure had the best intentions but they made fucking bloody bad mistakes yes and and the, and the reason kim that was done you have to understand the mds the medical doctors the training that they go through right 
think about an MD's training in, you know, some places, five years, right? These people do not understand the immune system. Okay. They really don't understand it. This is New Zealand government. 11,000 exemptions of people who did not want to take the vaccine. Right. They were primarily in the health field. So doctors, people who understand how uh, the immune system works, they were against taking the vaccine. But at the same time, they were forced to tell their patients and tell people, you know, you should take it. This is really the best thing for you. But at the same time, they were refusing to take it and, and put pressure on the government and said, if you don't give us exemption, we're just going to leave our jobs. You will not have a health system. Yeah. So, so what's happened is, Kim, is the notion you see the field of systems biology i mean you can blame some of these people in some ways there's ignorance which leads to suffering but the knowledge of a systems approach to the body remember western medicine really came from wartime medicine you had a problem it came from uh, just a quick aside you know florence nightingale many people think she was just a nurse i don't know if you've ever heard of her kim you know when we we're seventh eighth grade we heard about this great nurse she was actually the woman who is the developer of the modern healthcare system. She was in the Crimean War. She was watching that soldiers were getting shot, but they weren't dying on the field. They were actually dying when they came into hospitals. In the 1800s, you went to a hospital to die, okay? And she was a woman who came up with the concept of cleaning the hospitals, the hygiene, you know, bringing medical care in. But we have to remember the origin of modern Western medicine, certain elements which were phenomenal surgery, you know, certain things, God forbid, you get in a major accident, right? Crisis care came out of wartime medicine. Now that wartime medical training is what a typical doctor gets. They are not trained to, from a preventative standpoint, to look at the body as a system. They're trained, oh my God, he's got cancer. Let's give him chemo. Oh my God, for 50 years of his life, he hasn't been eating well. Okay, let's put him on this drug for diabetes. You see what I'm saying? It's action, reaction. The concept of seeing the body as a system does not exist in the medical healthcare system. And this is because of the origin of Western medicine. Now, Eastern and indigenous systems of medicine were based on seeing the body as a system. Now, for me, I've been intrigued by both of these, and that's the code that I cracked. And what you come to the conclusion is you have to take a systems base to the body. You, that leads to the concept of resilience. This concept is what medical training needs to happen. So first of all, you know, the New Zealand government, I'm willing to help them out with this, right? We've created, I've created a, a, one of the best courses I used to teach at MIT, we can reteach it, is to train MDs, all healthcare professionals, on this concept of a systems-based approach to health, and it begins with resilience. Still, fine, go do your other crisis management treatments, but you need to understand a systems-based approach to health. The politicians need to be trained on this, the MDs, and they can learn this in a very quick way. Once they have the systems approach, Kim, they're going to see the ankle bone is connected to the foot bone. Oh, I'm going to do a lockdown. What's that going to affect? Oh, maybe I'm going to cause depression and I'm going to create more debts. You see what I'm saying? This nature of I'm going to do this intervention, what will have to the broad mass of people is not exist in their brain trust because there are so many incentives to do a quick intervention, make money off of it, be popular and take on. So in my view, you know, I've had many close friends who've lived in New Zealand. One of the things that always popped out for me about New Zealand, it seemed like they would think more broadly about their people, you know? And I think that spirit still is there. It's a small enough place that you can actually implement some of these interventions 
are these ideas and education that I have in mind, and they can be done overnight. Yes. And this such a small population, we, we now, I think, need to be grateful to this whistleblower because he has opened up this debate and he allows uh, the New Zealand government to have a look at, you know, what they should do next, especially now that there's a new government. I think they could seize any kind of hostilities against this whistleblower and anyone who wants to analyze the data and just, uh, you know, shut down the internet, basically, so no one can see uh, what this data is. Uh, and instead, uh, be transparent, be the leader in the world to make people understand what really happened here and how we can do it better next time and what other methods are out there that we can prepare our populations better for something like this if it happens in the future. You know, be proactive about it and not like you said, uh, you know, try and, and, and only get into action when it's already too late. I remember, and Kim, tell me if this is right. One of my, um, I used to know a guy who was a provost, you know, a professor at MIT. He said when he went to New Zealand, he found something quite fascinating. And tell me if this is true. He said, he goes, they do something quite humanitarian in New Zealand. Um, you know, in, in the United States, when if you get into a car accident, right, everyone's fighting each other, very litigious, right, trying to get money with all the ambulance chasers. He said in New Zealand, they had a very nice policy, which he thought was very, very good is that if there's an accident there's really no blame the government comes takes your car it's all fixed right and you just move on you don't lay blame on anyone but you have this acknowledgement that in a civilized world where you're driving around cars there is going to be so many number of accidents right so you eliminate the litigiousness but it seemed like it was a quite a nice policy it was very forward thinking you say it was like recognizing I don't know if that has been forward thinking in a lot of uh, uh, ways, you know, yeah. the, 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 the woman uh, vote uh, came out of New Zealand, right? I mean, there's so many innovative, cool things that came out of New Zealand and you can do that in a country with a relatively small population, you know, and uh, I think uh, this, this should be a test case for New Zealand to, to take a leadership role in the world. What I don't want to see is that governments now outsource their health decisions to uh, a single body, the World Health Organizations. So instead of taking blame themselves when they make a mistake, they can just outsource the blame to a third party and say, well, we signed up, up to this treaty and now we have to follow these uh, recommendations. I think that's the completely wrong approach. You know, what needs to happen is we, we really need to get a clear understanding about what happened here uh, during COVID during lockdowns, during vaccination, and how are we going to make sure that in the future we have a better approach to these things. And I don't trust the World Health, Health Organization that has, has uh, said all the same wrong things that every government had run uh, on, on random repeat, all the lies, all the stories about it being super effective and it will stop transmission and yes, wear masks, uh, maybe even two. I mean, it's idiotic. And that's why you see the vaccination rates go down because people have witnessed this firsthand. You know, the only people who are still loyal uh, vaccine uh, subjects are the elderly that are just watching, 
you know, the three news channels that we have here in New Zealand that are, of course, all infested with the government messaging. There's no investigative journalism happening here. But amongst the group of younger people that are actually on the Internet that are watching the Joe Rogans that are on Twitter or at now X, you know, those are the people that have uh, seen all of these leaders around the world exposed uh, for their misinformation. You know, and they are now uh, reluctant to take any kind of vaccine. And you will see these numbers drop even further. Like there's no future for the approach that we had in response to COVID. And New Zealand needs to be the leader in finding the new approach, the, the one that makes sense. And that has to come out of this data. So this is a great opportunity, in my view, for New Zealand to, you know, actually thank this whistleblower uh, and take this on uh, head on be fully transparent and allow the world to see this data and then make real conclusions from it how to do things better in the future yeah and i think tim i think ultimately look what is the purpose of life and why are we here right let's take this if we want to just step back we all want to live long and prosperous right long and healthy um i just want to uh point to the fact, and we just published a paper in one of the leading journals in nutrition. It's called, uh, it, it's called the journal of, uh, it's called the journal called nutrients. Okay. And the reason I want to point this out is when you look at this um, feature here, um, that's in this journal. Okay. I don't know if you guys can see it. It was a paper that we just published on how you can reduce, you know, aging. It was a, a deep systems computational analysis, but these are the, can you see this, Kim? There are five major components, and there are others, okay, involved in how you age. Now, you could replace that word aging with the immune system, but the policies that government take, and I did a, a I'll, I'll send it out after this, policy to biology. The policies that government take directly affects your biological systems. Let me repeat that again. A policy a government takes literally is affecting your biology. When they did lockdowns, people's oxidative stress went up. Oxidative stress is you, your body started creating free radicals from all the depression, all the stress. Autophagy, your body lives long where it knows how to clean itself up. There's autophagy genes. Those got shut down during a lockdown. Mitochondrial dysfunction increase where your body doesn't know how to burn uh, properly. You know, senescence, all the many ways your body shuts down old cells, brings up new cells and metabolic dysfunction. So think about what I'm saying. If we truly care about deaths and not dying and living long, and New Zealand has a very, you know, 82 uh, uh, lifespan, right? People are living up to 110 in some cases. Um, and as that aging population increases, New Zealand has, you know, incredible, you know, food, as I understand, right? Grass, I mean, you got, you guys got a lot of things, but if the policies affect these pathways, you're going to destroy the aging mechanisms, right? You're going to you're going to destroy the immune system. So the key thing that needs to happen is a medical training policymakers. The world needs to start understanding when you implement a policy, it is directly affecting people at the molecular level. And this, once we have this understanding broadly, there's a need for government to share data, for government to be more transparent. Because now you get to this amazing data, you can say which policies are gonna improve certain people's lifestyle, right? And by the way, this can also be personalized, but there's a framework for doing this. There's a framework for interventions that will work and will not work. 
And so we're at a very interesting point. We could head into the incredible golden age, Kim, or we could head into the dark ages, either way. Um, but it really requires us participating in the larger discourse and not getting caught up in some dialectic. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, I mean, that was a, a really uh, important presentation. Thank you very much. And thanks for answering these questions. I think we'll do a follow-up space or we'll just uh, let people ask you questions. I sure, let's do that. Yeah, and everyone I should, I look yeah, everyone should digest uh, your presentation. You know, those three links that you provided in your tweet, uh, those uh, uh, slides and everything are there for everyone to review again. You know, they can go through that data. And uh, why don't we do another space in a week from now and have an open discussion where everyone can ask uh, you questions. And, uh, you know, maybe we are more enlightened uh, by that time as well, what the New Zealand government is going to do and how this, uh, how this topic is going to progress. And then we can talk about that. Sounds great, Kim. Again, I look forward to speaking. I know a number of people who wanted to talk. I think, uh, Kim, the format you propose sounds great because the video is there. People can digest it, and then we can have a wonderful, lively discussion a week from now. Yeah, fantastic. Let's do that. Great. Well, then, I thank you very much for your time. Thank you for a very thoughtful uh, uh, presentation. It made a lot of sense to me what you had to say. Uh, so thank you for your time and uh, everyone who has been listening. I hope you learned something. I hope it uh, you know opened your mind to a different uh, kind of thinking. It's not just all about vaccines and lockdowns. There are better solutions to dealing uh, with pandemics. And I hope the New Zealand government will take uh, this issue seriously and and see this as a lesson that transparency is going to help the world. Uh, to actually find those solutions and uh, hiding the data is not the way forward. I think uh, everyone in New Zealand would agree if there was a, a vote today on releasing this data for scientific research, I think the majority of New Zealanders would absolutely agree uh, with that. This is not about uh, inquiries where blame is put on people. I think the most important outcome uh, is that we learn the lessons from what went wrong with this uh, pandemic and the response and how to avoid that in the future and have better solutions in place. Exactly. You nailed it, Kim. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is we have a huge opportunity um, to expand our knowledge on how to really uh, support health and how governments can participate in that. For that matter, I think people also need to recognize the importance of this kind of transparency, Kim. Okay. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you again, and okay. everyone, for listening. Um, and we'll do another space probably in a week. I'll, I'll keep you posted on on uh, X. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye okay. Bye. Be well. Get some sleep, Kim. Be well. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. bye, -bye.
All right, everyone, thank you very much. I hope that was useful. I'm sorry, I forgot to turn the stream off. Be well, be the light. I'm going to just play for everyone as I check out. Uh, people know that you know I'm running for president of the United States. And if you enjoy this, know that I think it's time that all of you guys have a president um, who actually can have this kind of discourse, can do this kind of analysis. Um, and by the way, remember very clearly that we have politicians and thought leaders who in March of 2020 didn't do the right thing. And to support them to be leaders is the wrong thing to do. You know, I did the right thing in 2020 and always will do the right thing. I hope you enjoyed this video. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? I was born a low caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14 year old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first US copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remained safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not so obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science, lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, 
Win back freedom. Win back your health. That's why I'm running for president of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people for the working people who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health, to win back America, be part of this historic movement, all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. President. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shivaya Duray, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Shiva for President.